Praise God. God is so good. Well, are you ready? Some of you are like, ready for what? <laughs> ready for anything and everything. But are, are, are you ready for Christmas? I hope so. Uh, we're, we're getting ready. We're, we're doing what we need to do. And, and you know, this, this time of the year, this season that we're in, uh, the season between uh, Thanksgiving and New Year's is usually in, in a normal situation. Um, what adjectives would you describe this time as? Hectic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for honesty. Yeah, hectic, busy. You know, in my life, when, when I get busy or things get hectic or uh, I, you know, in this time, I tend to jam more stuff into the same amount of time I've always had. And, and it causes me to, something has to give, right? And what gives in my life is uh, sleep. I don't sleep as much as I used to. But I know it's a season and I'll get through it. But, you know, this isn't a normal Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's season, is it? Things have been really diff different this year and, and, and difficult. And so with that, it adds even more. You know, I can't just run out. One of the things that I do, I, I make some things at Christmas time uh, that I don't make the, the rest of the year. Debbie makes, you know, people make cookies, they make pies, they do all that kind of stuff. And I can't just run out without thinking the way I used to do because I got to make sure I got a mask and, and all that kind of stuff. And so that adds to you know, the challenges of, of, of this time. And yet, this time, Thanksgiving, we're supposed to be pausing to thank God. Our nation is the only nation, the nation that it started with, and as far as I know, the only nation that, well, Canada has a Thanksgiving. But to stop and thank God for everything. And we do this one time a year. We should be doing it every day. Because God's doing stuff every day. And and then we celebrate uh Christmas, which is the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to die for our sins. God gave the greatest gift that keeps giving. Uh, every day can be Christmas in our lives. Um, and then we have New Year's, and I'm telling you, this year I am staying up. I'm staying up until that ball drops. I want to make sure that this year ends. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm, I'm going to stay up. And once, if Debbie's not up, I'm going to go in at 12.01 and say, it's done. This year is over. So again, thank you so much for being here this morning. We appreciate you being here. Thank you for being online. Um, I believe God has something for you. And I hope you came expecting. I hope you're, you've tuned in expecting God to impart something to you. And it's not just information. We, we are on overload with information. I don't know about you. My, my email box keeps getting full, and I go through and empty it, but it keeps filling up. And, and I just don't need all that stuff. But what I do need is what God has. I need what God wants to deliver to me, what he wants to download and impart to me so that my life will be what he has for it to be, and I can do what he has for me to do. And I believe the choice you made to be here today or to tune in uh, is going to uh, make yourself available to what God has. But realize God's going to do that. But how many of you know God's always offering us everything we need? The Bible says that he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. But it's whether we're expecting it and expecting and looking for it and receiving it by faith. 
And so today we need to be in faith. We need to be expecting and believing and receiving what God has so that there'll be a change. There'll be a change in your life here before you hit the door. There'll be a change in your life online before you, you do anything, get off the couch or wherever you are. Um, God has to impart. God has for you to experience, me to experience, everyone to experience abundant life. But we have to choose whether we're going to look for it and receive it. Um, but again, in, in this time, God's going to speak to each of us individually because he cares about us individually and collectively. But we need to, we need to focus. We need to really uh, determine we're going to receive what God has. So I'm going to just ask you to bow your heads, uh, you at home. Uh, we're going to pray. And you may say, well, why do I have to bow my head? Well, you don't have to, and you don't have to close your eyes. But what you do have to do is focus. And if you can do that with your heads up and your eyes open, go ahead. But Father, right now, we, we focus on you. We have come, we are tuned in because we want what you have. And not only do we want what you have, we need what you have. And we know that we're coming to a God who is a generous God, a good God, a faithful God, a loving God, a kind God. And, and it's your good pleasure to give us your kingdom. But today, Father, we need to hear from your heart through your word and receive the impartation of your life, your peace, your joy, your hope that, Father, our lives would be transformed. Not expecting that this would be just the finality, the end of it, but, Father, in the long process of us continuing to be transformed, going from glory to glory. And so, Father, we ask you to speak to us, reveal yourself and your will and your provision and your power. We thank you, Father, for all of this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So we're continuing on. Last week I started with a, a, a title uh, that came from a time I was having with God months and months ago, uh, and the title is, How's Your Soul? Uh, I was struggling with things, not even realizing that I was struggling, and, and as I was sitting quietly, I, I just felt this bubble up, and, and it's not that I heard God's voice, but I knew God was, was questioning me, and how many of you know when God asks questions, it's not because he doesn't have the information? You know, God's not, there's nothing hidden from God. So when God's asking questions or questions are coming to us in, in when we're really focused on God, it's because he's trying to help us see something we're not aware of. And when we are not aware of something that's actually going on, it's a type of deception. Okay? Uh, and, and we've talked about deception and where there's deception, there's loss. But in this time with God, you know, I was experiencing a lot of different things and, and uh, I, 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 had this just rolling over in me how's your soul and my answer just immediately was i'm fine i'm good but again i wasn't i wasn't aware of what was going on i wasn't aware uh and being honest with myself some of it wasn't honesty some of it was unawareness and i think we all deal with that at times where we're unaware or we're, we're just not wanting to really see things as they are and so as as I, I was becoming more aware and more open to God in that question, how's your soul? I had to admit, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling. And God began to do some things in, in directing me. I, I felt directed to go to Psalm 23 and read that over and over again, memorize it, and I did. And, and that helped to keep my focus on the Word of God because when you're focused on the Word of God, it, it empowers you. It, it encourages you. 
And uh, and so um, as as time went on, you know, we go through these seasons and I found myself again in a season where, you know, I wasn't doing as well as God had for me to do. And uh, so some some scriptures came and I was I was questioning God because I didn't didn't really understand it. But in Psalm 42, verse five and verse 11 and Psalm 43, verse five, you'll see all these references, but they're all the same, same thing. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? And God was helping me understand that, you know, there's, there, we're a three-part being, and the area that I was struggling the most in, I was the most deficient and, and um, disturbed in, was my soul. My soul. And I, I'm aware that we're a three-part being, and, and uh, I was, I was, questioning God, I said, you know, what, what's, what's causing me to be disturbed? What's doing the damage? What's causing me to be downcast? That word downcast means to be bowed over in relationship to, to um, a shepherd. When, when sheep would become cast or downcast, it was when they had fallen over on their back. They were stuck. They couldn't get up. They were frantically flailing their legs and, and doing a lot of activity, expending a lot of energy, but not accomplishing anything. And that's kind of how I felt. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've, I've been there. And I don't want to go back there, but I know I can easily go back there if I make the wrong choices. Because what I choose is what comes to my life. And, you know, the enemy's out there trying to trip me up and trip you up. And, and so in this, looking at this, disturbed. And we talked about three things uh, last week that that caused us to be downcast or disturbed in our souls or weary in our souls. And uh, I, I share with you, people can cause that, cause you to be weary in your souls. They can also help refresh you sometimes. There are um, problems that cause us to be wearied in our souls. And there's the pace of life. And, I, and I'm not going into that today because we did last week. But I will tell you that you may, may be here today or online and, and saying, well, you know, this isn't really for me. I don't have, I, my soul's in good shape. Just like I was saying when God said, how's your soul? I was like, I'm good. I'm good. But I wasn't aware. And, and so uh, I just, just want to talk to you uh, and share with you real quickly. You know, we've talked about things that, that damage our soul or, or cause us to be downcast or disturbed or poke holes in our soul. And how do we know that? There are some characteristics that, that go along with this, and I'm just going to quickly give you them, and you're not going to be able to write them down as quick as I give them, so you may have to go online and just get this. It's okay. Uh, but indicators of soul weariness or trouble is um, being emotionally drained, uh, worn out, numb emotionally, a lack of energy or passion or enthusiasm, being sleeping really poorly even though you're tired. Uh, decreased motivation, absent-mindedness or difficulty concentrating, feelings of being trapped or stuck, a sense of dread or fear, um, cynicism or irritability or irrational anger, and depression. Now, when I look at those, I can tell you that I can, I can relate to every one of those at various times. And that's where I have to be aware you know, walking through life and not being aware of what's going on in you, whether it's physically, whether it's spiritually or emotionally, man, that's not good. It is not good. And so I've become 
intentional about being aware of when these things start to rise up in my life. And we, we realize that, you know, these things will rise up in our lives. No doubt. It's not that you, there's something bad uh, with you. You're not bad, but things happen. We're in a fallen world, and this stuff happens. And for us to deny it in, in ignorance or because we don't want to face it isn't going to make it go away. And so we have to be aware but also be intentional about knowing who can help us overcome this. And that's where last week we began to look at, and this is our, our foundational scripture um, in second, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. But, you know, this, this whole idea of being stressed out and being overloaded and troubled in our soul, uh, this, this season that we're in tends to uh, encourage that type of thing. Um, and I want to tell you, even on top of that, we've had people, children working, t learning remotely, people working remotely. And so all of that, people are in a, a confined place that is not the way they've lived before. And, and I want to tell you a story about one dad who was working from home and the kids were remotely learning. They were young kids. And there is a tension that occurs, and I'm sure you're all aware of it. That when, when kids are at home and they're learning, especially young kids, it's really hard for them to s understand, why can't I go play? Why can't da daddy's home? Why can't I play with dad? And, and so there was this situation where this, this man was working from home. He had two young children. And they kept coming in and interrupting. And he needed some real focused, concentrated time to do his work. And as he was frustrated, he began to walk through his house looking for for something that would occupy the kids. And he saw all their toys and that kind of thing. And as he walked by the coffee table, he noticed a, an oversized uh, magazine opened up to a picture of the world, the, the earth. And uh, he had an idea. And he called his kids to him and he said, look, um, I've got something for you to do. You love puzzles and I've got a puzzle for you. And if you, when you put it together, I'm going to give you each $5. And uh, they said, oh, this is great. And so he had taken the picture of the world, the oversized picture of the world, and he had torn it up into pieces, and he put it on the coffee table, and he said, go to work. Now, with this, he walked away pretty satisfied with himself, thinking, I've got quite a bit of time because these are young kids. They can't put this together real quickly. And then he started to feel a little guilty because he had torn the pieces a little smaller than he probably should for the age of the children. But anyways, he walked back to his office and, and he started working and, and was really getting some things done. And before he knew it, he heard the patter of feet coming down the hallway. And he thought, oh, no, you know, I really did make the pieces too small. They're tired. They can't do this. And uh, I've got to figure out something else. And then showed up the, his two children, his, his son and his daughter. And there they were, big smiles, holding a picture of the world all taped together. And, and he was shocked. And he said to them, I, I, how, how did you do this? How did you possibly put the world together? How did you make the world whole when you don't really know that much about it? And, and his daughter looked at him with a big smile, so proud that they had done this. She said, well, Daddy, we tried, and we couldn't get the world to be whole. But we started to see on the back side of the pieces that you had of the world, 
They were pictures of a person. And so we work the backside of the picture, and when we put the person together and made the person whole, the world was made whole. And that's the truth about life. This world we live in is not going to be made whole until individuals are made whole. And I want you to know God is the God who makes people whole. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, you see it up here in the message translation. It says, may, the, may God himself, now one translation says the God of peace. The God of peace. The original translation says the God of peace. Uh, may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and what? Whole. Holy and whole. The God who makes everything holy and whole make what? You. Who's this talking to? It's talking about you. God wants to make you holy and whole. This is what he has designed and desired. And, and so the God who makes you holy and whole uh, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you what? Fit. Man, that's what we need. We need to be fit for the times we're living in. When somebody's fit, they got it together. They're strong. They have endurance. There's a soundness to them. And, and that's what God wants. God wants you fit. But he's going to do it by making you holy and whole. There's, there's a way God does things. How many of you know it's not always the way we would do it? Right? I, I, I don't know why God doesn't do it the way I would do it, but I do. I really do because his way's best. I think I have the best way, but I'm deceived. But anyways, he'll keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. So God himself, the God of peace. And, and when we read the word peace in the Bible, in the New Testament, it's usually the word irene, which means to set it one again, put back together, make sound. And when it says whole here, this word whole is, is really interesting. In Strong's, uh, the definition is uh, having all its parts uh, with all it needs and to be complete or sound. When something's sound, it, 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 it infers and implies the fact that it's solid, it's secure, it's, it's, it's not frail or weak or coming apart. And God has for you to be sound, wants you to be solid and secure. Uh, Webster uh, says that uh, the definition of whole is not lacking, not divided or cut into parts or pieces, free from wound or injury. And I think that's what God wants. God doesn't want you injured or, or, or wounded. He wants you whole. And the Bible says here that he'll make you whole. The God who makes you holy and whole and causes us to be fit in the times we're living in. And we need, we definitely need that fitness. And so this is, this is what God does. This is what God wants to do in your life. And in everyone's life, but not everyone's going to have what God has for them to have because not everybody's looking and expecting from God. You know, sometimes I don't. I look at other things and think I'm going to get my needs met by these other things. And, and truth be known, my needs will be met and God may use some person or something, but the author behind it all always is God. Because the Bible says, my God will supply all your needs.
according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so I have to be able to see beyond what means God uses to the fact that it's God. And that's why we should give thanks in all things. No matter what, God's at work, and he's going to work it out for good. But today, we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look in the New Testament and see how God makes people whole. Because you know that the Bible says that Jesus was the manifest image of the invisible God. If you, Jesus said himself, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, it should be said of us. If people have seen us, they should be seeing Jesus. That's God's goal. As a matter of fact, the Bible indicates that if we're going to have the glory in this earth the way God intended it, that glory comes from Christ in us. The Bible says Christ in us, the hope of glory. When Christ is able to be who he, he is supposed to be in our lives and then through our lives, the glory of God is revealed. People are drawn to him. And that's why it's so important that we, we really do allow God to have his way. But, and we mimic, you know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, we should all be following Christ. And if somebody's following you as you're following Christ, they're actually following Christ. And that's a good thing. But Jesus revealed the Father. Everything that the Father wanted done, Jesus did. And so today we're going to look at his life and see how he helped people be made whole. And in Mark chapter 5, uh, this is a pretty familiar portion of Scripture. Um, <clears throat> kind of set the stage for you. Jesus and the disciples were coming across the Sea of Galilee in a boat. They got to land, and when they got to shore, like always, most of the time, there, there was a massive crowd. I mean, people were always around Jesus. They wanted to be around him because they saw what happened when, when he healed and he fed and he delivered and he did, you know, life abounded. And so... He comes to shore with his disciples. He gets off the boat. There's a massive crowd. But in this massive crowd, there's one individual that kind of sticks out, and his name is Jairus, all right? And he was the head of the synagogue. Now, the people, the religious people of Jesus' time, were they all supporters whoo, whoo, of Jesus? What did, what did the... The heads of the synagogue, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, what, did they, what was their kind of uh, expectation for Jesus? What did they want to have happen to Jesus? Yeah, thank you. Uh, they wanted to kill him. And here was one of the, he was the head of the synagogue. He came to Jesus and he, he, he was really breaking ranks. You know, the rest of them that wanted Jesus dead could have said, you know what, <laughs> you're out of here. You, you have no more job. You're not part of us anymore. And yet he was willing to risk it all because his daughter was sick. The Bible says that he came to Jesus when he got off the boat and he said, Jesus, would you come to my house? My daughter's sick. And so that's the setting we're in. And so Jesus, Jesus says, now this is one of the group of people that are trying to kill him. Jesus said, okay, I'll come to heal your daughter. Now, I don't know if that's the way we would respond. What I see out there today in society is if you are going to be mean to me, then I would wish the worst on you. That's not Jesus, and that's not the way of, of Christians, true Christians. We're supposed to love our enemies. 
Bless those who persecute us and despitefully use us. Pray for them. But I see so many Christians today just giving back in kind. And Jesus said, do unto others as I have done unto you, not as they have done unto you. And so Jesus is going with Jairus to his house. The whole crowd is going, and that's where we pick it up. The crowd is moving towards Jairus' house with Jesus and Jairus heading that way. And it says, a certain woman which had an issue of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians and had spent all she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. So here's this woman. And the Bible says she had an infirmity, an issue of blood. How long? That's a long time to be dealing with a health issue. But I want you to realize that it wasn't just a health issue. It was, in fact, a health issue, but it went far beyond that, the, the, uh, the influence of what this had. When, when a woman had a situation like this, when she had a situation like this, uh, she was deemed unclean, which meant she couldn't be around her family. She couldn't go to synagogue. She couldn't be in the market. She was basically to be isolated for a season. This season was 12 years long. She, if found in a public place with people, do you know what legally they could do? They could, they could stone her. They could kill her on the spot without any repercussions. That was the law. And so here she is. She's got this situation. It's been for 12 years. It goes on to say she had suffered many things from many physicians. And, and she spent all that she had and she was what? No better. She grew worse. So again, helping us understand the whole picture, the real picture that's being presented here. She is coming into a situation that she could be killed for. She's experienced all this for 12 years. She has gone the distance trying to get physicians to heal her, spent all her money, and I've got to tell you, this is an indication she was a wealthy woman because it wasn't cheap. People normally couldn't go to a physician, no less many physicians, and she is now destitute. And not only that, she's grown worse. Do you think she was a little depressed do you think she struggled in her soul with wondering what's wrong with me why 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 is this happening to me oh my gosh i can't believe this this is terrible and and you know the enemy jumps in on any one of our pity parties and he lets you know that you're not worth it god doesn't care about you which remember your enemy is a liar so all the things he's telling you are not true it's just the opposite but we, we can't explain, we can't figure out, we can't define why things are happening the way they are. We're, we're living in a fallen world. There are battles you're going to have, but every battle you have a victory waiting for you. You just have to keep going. And so it goes on to say in, in verse 27, and when she heard of Jesus, this is pivotal, she heard of Jesus, somebody had to tell her. That's what we're here for. We're here to help people hear about Jesus. Hear how good he is. Hear how he's a healer. Hear, 
Hear how he supplies your needs. Hear how he died for your sin. All of these things. And it says, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. She risked dying because she believed something would happen. Because it says, for she said, if I may touch, but as close I shall be what? Whole. She had heard of Jesus. She had suffered all these things physically, relationally, emotionally, financially. You name it, she suffered. And she heard about Jesus, and she was determined. I'm either going to get to him or I'm going to die trying. Now, I have a question for you here today. Because she could have had all sorts of excuses. You know, I don't want to go to Jesus because they might kill me. I, I don't want to go to Jesus because I don't have anything to give him. He didn't, she didn't make any excuses. She said, I'm going to get to him. And if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made whole. So what's keeping you from Jesus? What is it that, that we're allowing to keep us from pressing into Jesus. She's going through this crowd. She's pressing through this crowd knowing at any moment if somebody recognizes, hey, hey, what are you doing here? The crowd would open up and they would grab stones immediately and kill her. But she said, no, I'm going to get to Jesus. Because if I get to Jesus, he'll make me whole. Do you know if you get to Jesus, if you choose to press through and get to Jesus today and tomorrow and every day, and you don't let anything Anything keep you or distract you from him, there's a wholeness God has for you. And he's the only one that can make you whole. No other human being, no, no event, no activity can make you whole but God. He's the one that makes everything holy and whole. Well, how, how is it that God can do that? Last time I checked, God was one that is our creator. Now, I know there are a lot of people in our society that don't believe that, but because they don't believe that, they can't have the benefit of what God has for them. But as the creator, he knows how we're supposed to be, and he can make us whole the way we're supposed to be. And so she pressed through, and she, she touched. She touched the hem of his garment because she had said, if I just touch him, if I just get to him, I'll be made whole. And then it says in verse, the next verse, and straight away or immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. She was healed. That, that issue of blood had ended. Now, how many of you know there's a difference between healing and wholeness? I, I, I want to tell you, there is an, a difference between healing and wholeness. My body, after the accident I was in, was healed. But there was a wholeness that needed to come to my mind, my soul, that when I drove past the place I got hit, I didn't immediately get nervous. Hello? Associated things. And, and God can do that. 
God, God can make you whole, not just heal your body, but make you whole, free you from the residual or the additional aspect of what was occurring because of that. Because of her heartbrokenness, her soul had holes in it because she was rejected, she was an outcast, she was isolated. And so she was healed, and Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, the word virtue is the word dunamis, it's the miraculous power. That's the power where the Bible says in Acts, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. It's miracle-working power. It was that power that went out of him. Hey, wouldn't it be great if we had miracle-working power in us? You do. You do. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, dwells in you. That dunamis power is resident in you. But what are we gonna, what are we gonna be willing to be directed by God for? And in this place, this woman said, if I can just touch him. And she did, and this power came out. She was healed. The blood stopped. And it says, immediately Jesus, knowing that this virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? The disciples are just like, what? Jesus has lost his mind. Now, who's not touched him? Jesus, everybody's touching you. And you're asking me, asking us, who touched me? Now listen, there's something really important that we can learn from this. I'm grateful that you've come to church. I'm grateful that you tuned in. But my question to you today is, what are you expecting? What did you come here expecting? Because I, I didn't know I needed to expect things from God, especially when I was young. I went to church at the First Presbyterian Church here in Rome. And as a kid, my, the classroom I was in was downstairs. And I would go, and I would go. And I didn't want to go, but there was one thing I looked for when I went. On the wall was a chart with all of our names. And every time I showed up or any one of the kids showed up, there was, I got a gold star. And I was proud of all my gold stars. But that's all I was expecting, a gold star. And you know what? That's all I got. And all these people are around Jesus, but they're not expecting. But there's one woman in a massive crowd that's expecting something from Jesus. She's getting to him because she knows if I can get to him, I'll be made whole. And if you come here day after day or you read your Bible or, or you pray or you do all these things without any expectation, you're going to get what you're expecting, which is nothing. It's not going to benefit you the way it could, the way it should, the way God intended. And that's why I'll just ask a question. How many of you here this morning or you at home, you're in need of healing? You're believing God for a healing. I'll put both my hands up. And, and how many of you, and I don't want any hands, you can put your hands down. How many of you walking in, you were, okay, this is the day. God, I'm expecting healing to flow because I want you to know before we before every one of these services we pray we pray believing God that there'll be healings 
the people will be saved. People will be delivered. The joy and peace and hope will be increased in, in people's lives. The people aren't going to leave here the same. That you watching on online are not going to be the same when, when God is able to do what he does. And so we're expecting what you need to expect. Every time, not just when you walk in the doors here, not just when you tune in, but everywhere we go, we go with God. God goes ahead of us. God prepares the way. God lives in us. And we should be expecting God to do great things because faith is important. And it says, as he looked around about to see her uh, that had done this thing, the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him. Next. And told him all the truth. Told him all the truth. Did Jesus know what the truth was? Yeah, but she still told him. She was open and honest. And he said to her, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Now the first words out of his mouth are what? What's he say to her? Daughter, well, daughter. See, we need to read the Bible with reality. She hadn't heard this. Daughter, wife, mother. Relationships were all severed because of this physical issue. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is relational. Daughter. Daughter, you're... We're connected. You're mine. I'm yours. And he immediately establishes how this relationship is. Family. We are each other's. He says, My, thy faith has made thee whole. And then he says, go in what? And be whole. Your faith has made you whole. And this word whole is a different word, but go in peace and be whole. Continue in that wholeness. You don't have to get it. You got it, but continue in it. How? In peace. That irony setting at one again. There was a reconnection. The way God had always intended people to be connected with him. And through Jesus, she was connecting with Jesus. He affirms the connection, the relationship, the commitment the interaction, this is, this is a daughter. I, I, we're related. Everything that's mine is yours. Everything that's yours is mine. Be whole of thy plague. Now, this isn't the only instance that this happens. A little farther on in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, we find another situation. And we see wherever Jesus went, there were healings. I believe there was wholeness offered, and many times people settled for just health. And I think sometimes we settle for, well, you know, it is what it is, and once I get to heaven, everything will be good. God wants you to be overwhelmingly more than a conqueror here in all things, that you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. There's a connection to health and prosperity to your soul. And, and so here in this situation, it says uh, in Mark chapter 10, 
when they reached Jericho, again, Jesus and his disciples are going. And it says, and Jesus and his disciples left town. A large crowd followed him. Again, the crowd, the crowd, the crowd. There are going to be a lot of people that are following Jesus, but they aren't going to get what they need because they're not believing or expecting. They're just following. They're around him. It's not proximity. It's not about you brushing up against him. It's about you expecting. Really expecting and believing what he's promised for you. And so they were leaving town. The crowd was with them. And a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Now, in, in the original translation, it calls him blind Bartimaeus. How many of you know that when you've got some sort of verb or moniker or descriptive term before that person, you know, slow hairy, that isn't something that just happened that day. It's something that was a characteristic over a long period of time. And so they called him blind Bartimaeus. It wasn't just Bartimaeus. It was blind Bartimaeus. That's how they knew him. Bartimaeus was blind. So he was blind Bartimaeus. Anytime you talked about him, it was blind Bartimaeus. And so a beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to do what? Oh, come on, church. He began to shout. Again, God has given us imagination. Use it for the best thing you can use it for. When you read scripture, imagine yourself in that situation. There's a massive crowd. Jesus and his disciples are moving along. They go past this guy who's by this place that has sat there for probably years begging. He's blind. That's blind Bartimaeus. We're just going out of town and uh, don't bother with him. And Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is passing by and Bartimaeus says, Jesus! Is that all he says? What, what's he say? Jesus, son of David. What does that mean? That term, son of David, every Jewish person knew. When you were talking about the son of David, you were talking about the Messiah. Well, what difference does that make? It makes a whole lot of difference. The Bible says if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you have a prophet's reward. A better way to say it, if you recognize somebody as a plumber, then you can have the gift that that plumber is if you recognize that he's a plumber and you receive him as a plumber. If you don't know John Leonard's a lawyer and you need a lawyer and you know, oh, that's just John, you won't receive the benefit that he can be in your life. And so, here's a blind man. Guy can't see. But he recognizes who Jesus is. He sees Jesus not as, you know, he's a good guy. He feeds people. There are healings that happen. No, it, this is, a, he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. What can the Messiah do for you? Everything you need for life. And so he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and the crowd's response, shut up. I know it says be quiet, but I don't think that's what they said. In my divine imagination, everybody that's pressing around Jesus, they hear this racket from old blind Bartimaeus. He's out of his mind. He's calling Jesus the Messiah. And they say, shut up. And, and what, what's he do? Okay. 
Okay, I, 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 I won't bother you. It was out, out of line. No! Son of David! Have mercy on me. He was not going to be denied. And so, what's Jesus do? He stops and he says, what's, what's Jesus say? Tell him to come here. That doesn't sound appropriate to me. Again, I'm, I'm operating in imagination. Here's blind Barnabas. There's a massive crowd. He's screaming. They're yelling at him. Jesus says, tell him to come to me. And now, blind Bartimaeus, who's blind? Right? Tell him to come to me. He's got to go through the crowd. He's got to find Jesus. That seems pretty nasty. Why didn't Jesus go over to him? Because he was finding out where, helping Bartimaeus find out and everybody else find out where Bartimaeus was. He wasn't just on the side of the road. He was desperate. But he was also determined. And so Jesus said, tell him to come to me. And so they call the blind man. Look at how they change. Shut up. Cheer up. Shut up. Cheer up. Schizophrenic crowd. Come on, he's calling you. Now, don't you think Bartimaeus could have said, hey, have him come to me. I, I can't see. I can't make it through. This is, this is a crowd. I don't do well in crowds anyways. Have Jesus come over to me. But we're going to see that wasn't his response. In verse 50 it says, and his response, Bartimaeus' response was, he didn't say another thing. He threw aside his coat, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. Can Think about that. Here's a blind guy. Jesus said, come to me. No excuses. No resistance. Man, he throws off his coat. He jumps to his feet. And now he's moving. He doesn't know where he's moving, but he's moving. And he gets to Jesus. He gets to Jesus. There was nothing in his yelling, Jesus, son of David, shut up. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Nothing was going to stop him from getting to Jesus, receiving what Jesus had for him. He had an expectation. And he gets to Jesus, verse 51, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, my rabbi, I want to see. This is what I want. I just, I want, I want to be able to see again. This is what he's asking Jesus for. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible says you have not because you ask not or you ask amiss. All right? Whenever we come to God, we've got to come in expectation, in faith. The Bible says through faith and patience, you inherit the promises. And so right here, he's telling him, this is where my level of faith is. This is what I'm believing for. Son of David, Messiah, I know you can heal. I just want my eyes back. I want my sight back. And the Bible says this, God will do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. He gives you life and life more abundant. God always goes beyond. 
when you sow something, you give something, God doesn't give you back in the same measure. Good measure, shaken, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God always multiplies it back. When he, Jesus was given fish and loaves, did he just have a few fish and a few loaves to feed the multitude? No, it was multiplied. I want you to know your God is a generous, abundant God. And so he says, I want to see. Look what happens. Verse 52, it says, And Jesus said to him, Go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. And immediately he received a sight. Thy faith has made thee what? Whole, sound, complete. Together. Not just the sight being restored. All the damage that was being done in his soul. All the rejection. All the anger and abuse he had experienced. God's making him whole. And what does, what does, how does Bartimaeus, no longer blind Bartimaeus, they couldn't call him that because he wasn't. What is Bartimaeus' response to being healed and made whole? He followed Jesus in the way. That is one of the smartest things anyone can do. Because too many times we, we ask God, we're, we're believing, we're expecting, we're believing God for things, and we ask Him, and I have seen more time. it's heartbreaking how many times I've seen this. I've believed with people for jobs. I've believed with people for finances. I've believed with people for relationships. And I've seen God bring these things. And the next thing I see is those things that God brought are now leading people away. They're so focused on what was brought instead of the one who brought it. And it didn't happen with Bartimaeus. Because, church, whether you realize it or not, we're all tempted to make idols out of the blessings that God brings into our lives. And the moment we do, we're already moving away from God. And so Bartimaeus, he not only receives a sight, he's made whole. Your faith has made you whole. There's a wholeness because we have to participate with God. When God does something, unless it's just absolutely uh, all him, and it's usually not, it took, if Bartimaeus didn't cry out for Jesus, son of David, would he have experienced this? No. But he was determined, he, he extended his faith, and then he operated in faith. He put action to it because he got up, jumped up, threw off his, his coat, and he went to Jesus. No matter how difficult it was for him to get through the crowd, he went there. He made it. So there was a partnership working here. Jesus did what he did. Bartimaeus did what he had to do. And there was a wholeness. And then he followed Jesus in the way. You know why? Because if you and I don't continue to follow Jesus, there are going to be more things. That, and it's a, a truth about life. There are things that come into our life that damage our soul. That cause our soul to be downcast, pressed down, bent over, poke holes in our souls. And it happens when we aren't expecting it. But it happens throughout this life. And if we're not with Jesus... We're going to have to get to him, readjust, turn back to him. And I'm not talking in the physical. I'm just talking about how we've migrated away and gone after other things. 
But if we keep tight with Jesus, if we keep connected in relationship and fellowship with Jesus, you know, as those injuries come, because they will come, just like obstacles and opposition, it's going to come in this world. The wholeness, the healing can occur as quickly as it comes. And that's why it says in Psalm 23, we, we read verse 3, but uh, that was where God would continue to have me go back to. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And verse 3 says, he restores my soul. But that wasn't all of it. I read just that part last week. But he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When he restores your soul, when there's wholeness that comes to your soul, there's another part of this that God has for you to continue to travel with him, to continue to stay connected to him. Don't be uh, tempted or drawn away by what he's just done or what he's just given. Continue to stay connected, stay on track with him because then, then he can bring it all. And none of it will be an idol to draw you away and to undermine your faith and your fellowship with God. Make every head bowed, every eye closed. We're living in, in challenging times, no doubt. And if you read your Bible, you'll find that these challenging times are not going to diminish. They will increase. But what also will increase is our ability to be made whole, to be strong, to be fit, to be overcomers no matter what we face in this life because we're not facing life alone. The Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And today, uh, we need to realize that we can choose to face the world alone, but it's going to be a rough road and we're probably not going to be able to go the distance because life will take you down. But God, God will lift you up. But it has to start with us turning to him and entrusting him with our lives. And so this morning we're going to pray a prayer. If you've never prayed this prayer, I would ask that you pray heartfelt from your heart as, as I pray. Just respond in, in what I, I say, um, believing to the best of your heart. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And so we're going to pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who came into this earth, lived a sinless life, went to the cross and died for my sins and was raised again to life and victory. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. Guide me and govern me from this day forward. I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.